0: stay hungry, stay foolish. You've got one shot to sell your ideas, but you're busy. So you leverage what's available, slides, data, charts and facts. And you end up with a scrambled message and no clear call to action. This is what our guest today calls the Franken deck. Today's book teaches us to organize our ideas, data and insights to help our audience quickly understand what they need to know and do with that information. It arms us with a framework for crafting influential narratives that uplevel the conversation and drive business results. We welcome the author of everyday business storytelling, create, simplify and adapt a visual and narrative for any audience. Janine Kernoff, Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Hello. It's good to be here.
0: It's so great to have you on the show. Behind me, I have a copy of this beautiful book, beautifully illustrated book, up for grabs for our audience. Just sign up to the Innovationshow.io newsletter where you can be in with a chance to win that book. Janine, before we meet the brain scientists, which is how you begin the book, you first tell us what two sisters from Silicon Valley know about business storytelling and how it all started amidst the bomb bust.
1: Yes, so I'll take you back. It's 2001, Bay Area, where both my sister and I, and she's my co-author and business partner, we grew up. And yeah, it was the dot-com bomb. We saw kind of that rise and then fall. And at the time, I was at Yahoo in sales training, and then later as an on-camera webcast host. Lee was in uh, telecom market research, leading marketing over there, and and just I think collectively from our two worlds saw a lot of you know, these rambling Franken-decks, as, as you said in your opening, which is really these incoherent hodgepodge communications where the audience is left confused. It's not really clear what the ask is. And and at the time, you know, I the world I was living in, everybody was living and breathing in presentations because at Yahoo, there wasn't a physical product to sell. So you were selling and telling stories through the screen, a screen. And I I think I just knew then, gosh, there's gotta be a a better way to tell our stories, to communicate visually, also inject the data. And so fast forward 2001, it was sort of towards the end of it, we started our company, the presentation company, and and there we are 20 years later, woman-owned business. And yes, we just published our first book. So it's kind of a big deal. It feels like my little like fourth child because I have three (laughs) children. So this is like my fourth baby. And uh, yeah, it's exciting to be here to talk to you about it.
0: I'm sure it's the least troublesome of them as well. (laughs)
1: Exactly, right. It doesn't talk back to me. Yeah.
0: So many business people will see, will wonder why storytelling, it it may seem fluffy to people, it may not sound worth their while. And for many, it's not they don't invest in this. And so before we even lean into meeting the scientist understanding the whole background to this, let's unfluff it. So why is this so important to us?
1: So storytelling helps us be heard, it helps us break through I also believe that storytelling is what we do and it's what we've been doing for for thousands of years, right? It's actually sort of a very natural thing for most of us. If you think about how you show up in the world, when you have conversations with friends or your kids or family, we talk in story. And yet in the business world, we tend to compartmentalize that and say, right, we're going to leave that alone. Let me open my deck and let me data dump. And that's how we communicate. And so at the core, as part of our human condition, it is actually a natural Element, we just tend to not do it well in business. Storytelling, when done well, and it is a skill that you can learn, creates a connection, it creates trust, and it creates community. And so that's where we're seeing the magic happen in business when you can take all your ideas and data. And wrap it in a story, you're creating that trust, that community, that connection. And I have to say, even after this past year and a half, isn't that what we're all craving? Trust, community and connection. And storytelling is a really powerful way to to get us there.
0: I mentioned about meeting the brain scientists, we won't go too deep into that. But it it gives a credibility also for those people who are the skeptics out there. And I know that's why you do this now having understood the book because you eat your own cooking and you present the book in the way that you actually give the framework to us. But you tell us how storytelling triggers both right and left brain, I thought that was really interesting. So right brain, and left brain thinking are triggered. And I loved how you said this, you said, your left brain is like a filing cabinet, it looks for patterns and seeks to match new information with existing or known information. So When many facts and data are thrown at that brain, your left brain tries to process all of it at once, but ultimately gets overloaded. At that pace, nothing can be categorized and information doesn't stick. It becomes noise. Hence the importance of engaging both sides of the brain.
1: Yeah. This chapter was, was very intentional. We wanted to back our concepts with the brain science, which is really amazing. And, and there's, we get to meet the brain scientists and i was very adamant when lee and i my my co-author sat down i said i do not want this to be a chapter where we data dump where we you know we do what we're telling folks not to do and so right away we get to meet all these scientists who have studied the brain and and see how the left brain is where we use more of the logic and the reason and our right brain is where we imagine and we dream and we feel, you know, it triggers our emotions. And so when you skin that chapter, the intention behind it was really for any naysayers, because we work with a lot of enterprise, big global companies, and we do training. That's our core business is we come in on site or virtual or on demand and we teach you how to use storytelling in your everyday business communications. And there's a lot of resistance, right? Because you, you talk to a product engineer or uh, a data you know guru, they're like, eh, storytelling, I don't need that. And so this chapter meeting the brain scientists was just to really kind of ground us all in a conversation that don't trust us, trust the experts, these the the, the sciences out there when we ignite both the left and the right brain. That's where the magic happens. Your audience leans in, they feel, and they can also store the information. So, what I love is you get to have your cake and eat it too. Take your data, but wrap it in a story that will help your audience actually lean in and understand what it is you want them to remember.
0: That's an important fact because you're not dismissing data. In fact, you say fire hosing people with charts can stymie decisions, but that data is not inherently bad. On the contrary, you say that supportive data used strategically leads us to greater insights about our current situation, as well as opportunities for a brighter future. So using it well, is absolutely core to the storytelling practice.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have a chapter called data. Yes, sometimes overused is not the villain. And I think that where we come from, we are all living and breathing in data. It is part of how we show up in business. And I really believe that data makes storytelling better in business. You need the data to what I kind of think of as bolstering the story. It creates. It kind of gives it some oomph, you know, and and we need that, and and your audience is craving it too. And when it's layered, when it's woven into a story, it feels intentional. It feels authentic. It feels relevant, rather than the data dumping that a lot of us do because we want to show off our research. We want to show our boss that we've done all this, you know, studying, and here's the stats. But but it doesn't make it easy for them, the audience. To understand why the data is there, so wrapping it in a story is such a simple way to ensure that the data comes across, but it's not noisy. That it's actually um, going to be be taken action on and, and be listened to.
0: So let's say we have business storytelling unfluffed at this stage. That sounds so dodgy. Let's now dig into the storytelling framework itself and see how it's used in common everyday scenarios we all face. Let's start with how it should start by taking the audience on a journey as you show us in the book.
1: Yeah, so we always say the best stories are not about you, they're about your audience. And so, if you want to get good at storytelling, you have to walk in your audience's shoes and really find out what is going on in their world, what do they care about, what's keeping them up at night, you know, what are the challenges that they face? And that's a, it seems so trite, it seems so obvious, but I find that a lot of us are busy and we're we're running fast. We don't have time to stop and say, wait, who am I actually communicating to? Who is receiving this message on the other end? I firmly believe storytelling isn't a one size fits all. And your audience is going to impact the narrative that you, you are developing and ultimately telling. And so it is absolutely key to make sure you're walking in their shoes. Now, from there, there's some basic building blocks and I'll I'll kind of roll through them quickly. It's all in the book. So we believe that there's these four pillars to storytelling and they're classic storytelling signposts. If you read any children's book or look at a, a feature length film, you'll see them, they show up. So first is setting. And setting in a story gives us context. And this is where bring in the data, bring in the insights. That's what helps actually establish credibility in the setting of your story. And it gives your audience that focus point. It helps them sit there and go, okay, I hear you. I get it. You're, 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 you're saying something critical and relevant and I'm listening. It also makes sure everyone's on the same page. So setting is a critical ingredient. The second signpost is characters and characters make us feel. Right. They add that emotional element. They help us relate to the topic. And I think a lot of us in business tend to forget about introducing characters because we think it sounds fluffy. We think it sounds something like Hollywood script writers might do, but you know, I am not introducing characters in my product update. Like that sounds weird. And it may sound weird, but but it's critical. And so in our book, in our trainings, we show you how to introduce characters in a way that doesn't feel forced that feels natural, but actually feels that's the point characters make us feel and your audience needs to feel that emotional peace. Going back to the brain science, that's where we, you know, trigger that right brain to feel
0: I thought that was interesting. I just wanted to jump in on that one, because that one was an eye opener for me. I'd never realized that as a context setter, the character plays such a, a pivotal role because, as you say, it's their response to a situation that actually teaches the audience as well to kind of go, look, this is what's going on. This is how somebody else is responding, then it engages them from an empathy perspective. That was a real eye opener for me and there. And in that I saw a real benefit of having characters in your presentation than in your story.
1: I love that word empathy. I think that is a perfect way to describe the value of characters in a narrative. We talk in the book about different ways to introduce characters. You can have a named character, like meet Joe, meet Alex, and it's very personal and quite intimate in a way. We get to know that character, or you can have unnamed characters, which is a little more common in business narratives that we see where we are referring to broad groups of people, millennials or consumers or our team, but we don't get to know them on an intimate level, right? We're talking about them broadly. And then the final way is you, you're the character. You share a personal story, but it needs to be on theme, it needs to be relevant and tapping back into kind of the, the main narrative you're you're telling. So in our book, we have a lot of examples of different ways to introduce characters because I find there is resistance to this. People freak out and go, what? Ah, I don't want to have a cheesy character. And that's okay. You're right to feel that. Cause again, know your audience. If having a named character is going to feel forced and uncomfortable for both you and them, then use unnamed. So there's a lot of examples where we show different ways to inject that that emotional element. So that's uh, a key. So then the third signpost is conflict. Conflict gives your audience a reason to care. It's critical. It's a necessary ingredient. You need a little healthy tension in the story. And it it gives momentum to keep your audience with you. I think conflict is oftentimes avoided or the conflict isn't always the conflict that the audience cares about, you know? So that's another thing is, again, knowing your audience, really digging deep. What do they care about? What is going on in their world? And the final signpost is resolution. This is the bulkier part of the story normally, but this is where we safely make it through the conflict and we've arrived at the solution or the product that's going to solve the day and unveil this new opportunity and how life is going to be better. I mean, that's usually uh, the bulkier part of the story because that's where you get to talk and show up and uh, unveil uh, your solution or or product suite. So those are the four elements and uh, we look at them through a kind of a different lens. But but I'll pause for just a second. Are there any questions about that? Does that make sense? Yeah. I know you've read the book.
0: Yeah, so I I, I love this. And, and there's a couple of things on conflict in particular, because conflict, as you say, we often avoid it, because we don't want to be the person who you know, I, I often think of board meetings, you don't want to be the person who introduces a problem. But as you say, this is absolutely key. So it's like the whole idea of introducing a problem if you're given a keynote, for example. But I found this line very important for our listeners, those people who are, are change makers or innovation heads in organizations. You said that leaders may tend to get attached to what's familiar. They can cling to the status quo when they don't have a better alternative. Conflict plays a critical role in changing their mindset because when you successfully build conflict, you have a window of opportunity to suggest something better. Introducing conflict is a status quo killer. I absolutely love that. And that is really key to kind of go, look, you know, if it's a burning platform, introduce that burning platform, but do it in a very story based way, using characters, like you said, to evoke some emotion. So you get the person to care.
1: I think conflict for me is a disruptor and it is a necessary ingredient. As I say, it is critical. Sometimes conflict can escalate too. You can have a series of small conflicts that build. So it's not always like one clean, clear conflict. I always recommend, you know, when you're trying to find the conflict in your story, collaborate you know vet it with colleagues check in do, do you think this resonates do do i have it correct or sometimes i'll just ask my audience a pre-meeting to say look i'm getting ready for this big conversation we're going to have next week I just want to make sure that I am honing in on the challenges you face. Did I get this right? Let them tell you. Vet it. I always find storytelling is very iterative. I, my stories get better as I iterate, and they get better as I collaborate and vet with colleagues. So this is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. You've got to do it in partnership with either your audience or a colleagues that know the audience well. Yeah, conflict is everything, and it kind of brings us to... So, we've talked about these four signposts, but conflict makes your audience uncomfortable. No doubt. It's they're mentally, you know, sitting there going, huh, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. You've just disrupted what I thought to be true, my status quo, the way we've done things we thought has been great. And you've just come in and disrupted that, that thinking. So, they need a mental bridge. They need some comfort before you get into the details of, of the resolution. And that mental bridge is what we call a big idea. So the big idea is the one thing that you want your audience to remember because they won't remember everything. And it is absolutely important that your big idea addresses your conflict and previews what's to come in the resolution. So it's kind of got this like, it's kind of a three-parter. It gives comfort. Yes. Check a box, right? It tells you what's coming. Check a box. But it also addresses the discomfort we've just had. It addresses that conflict. And so people always say, I don't know how to write my big idea. It's not coming to me. And I say, what's the conflict in your story? Because it's not as simple as just sitting down and saying, well, I want them to remember this one thing. Well, does that one thing tie to your conflict? So the thing about these signposts is they all interrelate to each other. They have to have the flow and the connection. They're not siloed elements in a story. They they are really interwoven. So we call this the why, what, how. The why of your story is the first three signposts, setting, character, conflict. They can go in any order. They can be verbal. They can be visual. I've had the why of a story take 30 seconds. I've seen the why of a story take 30 minutes. Because there was a lot of data. There was a lot of backstory and context that needed to be established. We then move to the what, your big idea, the one thing you want your audience to remember. And then from there, we move into the how, which is, you know, the how we're going to solve the problem, the details. So that why, what, how is this framework that shows up everywhere in the book and it shows up across multiple examples too. Uh, in ways that we communicate every day in business, whether it's an email, a one pager, a presentation, three slides, the why, what how is, is really kind of what anchors uh the narrative.
0: I was trying to bring this to into context maybe for some of our listeners who are startup founders, etc. And th- the question that they're often asked is, what problem are you solving? And this this is a little bit of conflict, a little bit of good with the big idea, or it's like, why should I care? That's really what you're trying to develop yes. here, aren't you, for people? But I wanted to come back to something you said is that we often we're in a rush and we want to deliver a big idea and we often jump to resolution. And actually, that's a huge mistake to do because you don't create any conflict. You don't create any. So what for the audience?
1: Yeah. So we ask this a lot in our in our workshops because I we look at these signposts and we say, OK, truth where do we all start? And most people will, will guiltily say, yeah, you know, I start with resolution. A lot of salespeople will do this because they're in, they're under time constraints. It's not like they're trying to be, uh, not thinking about the audience. They just, they're actually thinking, no, I'm helping my audience. I am jumping to what they care about, which is they want to know about my product or solution or, or plan. And to that, I always say careful because, again, resolution is the how of your story. You haven't given your audience a reason to care. And that's why it's important that the why of your story can be verbal, it can be visual, and it can be short, or it can be lengthy. That's really up to you. It comes down to what the data and the information you have to share. I will often in those situations, and we do have a chapter called the pivot strategy, because sometimes you do have to zig and zag. There's a little bit of dancing that happens with these these pillars of, of storytelling. So what we just talked about is in a perfect world, if we could tell our stories linearly, right, with my why, what, how, yes, that would be wonderful. That is not always reality in the business world, right? And often our time gets cut from you thought you had 30 minutes with an executive and now they're running late and now you have five. And and so how do you zig and zag in and out of this narrative? And that's where your big idea is your friend because it can sometimes be that anchor from which you begin and you pivot. You might pivot to your how or you pivot to your why based on real-time audience feedback. And that is like a game changer when you are trying to create a two-way dialogue, not a a one-way
0: monologue. I thought about that. I, I my context, I suppose, m- mainly is in board meetings, and I'm, I am I sit on a board as well. And I often feel so sorry for the executives when they're told, look, we're going to cut yours short. And I know they've spent ages and a lot of stress and a lot of tears making those slides up. But I, but it made me think back to myself when I was in that situation myself, was that I should have always prepared two decks, one for the one that if I did get my 15 minutes in the spotlight, but the other is if I was told, just give me the updates, the pivot strategy. And it's such a useful way. And just to have it called out the way you do in the book was so, so useful.
1: But I I wanted to come to
0: something again, because something that often happens is, and it's great, it feels great. Hey, this quarter, I don't have any conflict to talk about, but you say that's That's even wrong, because we want to we want to show, hey, I'm nailing it. my projects going well. I just want to tell you about all the great stuff. But that's actually not such a great idea. And you talk to us about that as well.
1: So yeah, this is a reality for a lot of us. And it comes up when we're doing updates, a QBR, a quarterly business review, or just a program update or an update on an initiative that we're running. And the reality is sometimes there isn't conflict. So there is a whole chapter. I think it's chapter 11 called providing an update. And it it layers on how the baseline story structure, this why, what, how, factors in when, yeah, Sometimes there isn't conflict. What do you do? So we offer different solutions. I mean, in a a nutshell, sometimes it's simple as let's save us all a meeting. We don't need to have a meeting about this. Just give us a status update offline over email, cloud-based project management tool, however you guys communicate. Fine, right? And that's okay. Sometimes projects are going swimmingly well and fantastic. We don't need to force this. However, What we've found is often there's there's sort of an undercurrent of conflict that often just needs a little bit of digging, a little bit of um, understanding, wait, could there potentially be uh, conflict down the road? So I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm running a program and things are going on time, they're on budget, everything is good, and I'm here to report the news like, hey, everything's cool. But maybe I'm hearing rumblings that resources on my team need to get pulled over on another project because you've heard things are going so well that you're thinking, wait, don't they have some bandwidth to maybe like share some love over on this team? That's a conflict for me. It hasn't erupted yet. It's not a full-blown conflict, but there's a rumbling there that I need to get ahead of. So that might be the conflict in my story, which is project XYZ going great. We're on time. We're on budget. The vendors are awesome. We're, we're, we're great. We're going to deliver on time. However, I am hearing that, you know, and we go into that sort of tension a little bit around what could be and the conflict becomes, listen, I am not going to be on time and on budget if that happens. I can't afford to have my resources taken off course or we will not meet the deadlines, the milestones that we committed to. So here's what I need from you right? There comes my big idea. I need, you know, I need, I need support here. I need commitment that we're seeing this through and here's all the benefits. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And we list them off. So there's an example where the conflict wasn't staring at me in the face, but if you do a little bit of digging, you again, vet, collaborate with colleagues, you might be surprised you'll find conflict and it doesn't have to be massive and dramatic, but just enough to give your audience a reason to care, to help you stay on track.
0: I absolutely love that. And it, it made me think about it so differently, because you're so keen to go, I've nailed this quarter, or whatever, that you don't, you know, the way we have this tendency, if we're over budget in a quarter, if we're against estimations, we might sandbag that revenue and keep it for the next time we don't need it. I thought about this as sandbagging conflict. So I may not have conflict this time, But I'm going to keep it for the next time because I'm going to definitely have conflict again. And I I thought of a few narratives here. For example, to your point, I'm talking to the board, I'm talking to whoever I'm reporting to, and I'm saying, I had a great quarter. The reason I had a great quarter is because you gave me the people I needed in order to do that. And I found a good balance to my team. If I had another person (laughs) I could nail next quarter as well, and then you start to build confidence, you start to build a reason and then they have trust in you more and more. I thought that was such a valuable tool.
1: Right. And so along those lines, what's at stake if you don't get that second person, right? Tell me all the things that are going to go wrong or the risks that are going to happen if I don't have more bandwidth on my team. That's conflict. And it's it's it, you know, and it's not again, it's not an an overly negative conflict. It's sort of a future forward looking thing, but that's the kind of thing we need to be doing and that's where I I always I find that before we can even tell our story, we have to find our story. It's like story finding is part one. Storytelling is part two. The story finding happens when you either sit with yourself and dig in and say, what, what, what's at stake here? If X, Y, Z doesn't happen or does Vet it with your colleagues. Uh, we also offer some suggestions in the book and in our trainings around, sometimes you're going to discover your conflict real time with your audience and it's risky and you have to know your audience. You have to know that they're willing to play with you. But it is, it's pretty amazing when it happens because it shows real partnership. It creates a two way dialogue. And the secret is making sure you're following up on the next call or the next meeting to demonstrate what the conflict was, right? So if you're sort of creating it or kind of co discovering the conflict with your audience, you want to close the loop on it as well. Uh, but yeah, this is, uh, I think this is what I personally love about storytelling in business, it's reality. It This is not fluff. And it, it, you know, I think a lot of us think of storytelling sometimes as it can be fluffy. That's the word we hear a lot or mystical or magical, like something that people at the top do well because they have a staff of people that make it look easy. And then for the rest of us, we say, forget it. I'm not going to use it. And what I am so proud of, and it, you can tell this is my fourth child, right? <laughs> is Every it's, time I, I, have, this, I have
0: one of them here behind me. You know, you know. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. It. It. I really wanted this book to be practical and relevant in business, not some like really awesome concept that you'd have on your shelf and go. I don't know if I'm going to use that, but something you can grab into when in the moment you need it, like when you're doing that product update. So
0: yeah, and, all right, that's the my way, spiel. I'm done. <laughs> no, it's it's awesome, and and actually the the way the book for our audience is produced is you give franken decks, you go, here's the before the franken deck, here's after it's been Janine and lead. And it's been made into a logical story using the framework. So it's not just a book where you, you dump the framework, it's actually, here's the framework, here's how it rolls in lots of different situations. And one of the great ways you do this is once you introduce the framework, you then move on to go, okay, now let's move on and build on that. What else can help you? And this is so pivotal. I see I sit through a lot of decks in my role as an advisor. And I'm always struck by how boring (laughs) a lot of the headlines are. And I know sometimes people are sometimes have to adhere to a template. But if they can spice up the headlines, they can actually change the whole impact of the slide. And this is what you call active headlines.
1: Yeah. So headlines are are another, I mean, this is kind of another healthy ingredient in storytelling. So yes, as you say, we, we arm you with the framework and then there's just like, and more and more. Let me, let me keep punching this up, building your storytelling toolkit headlines. If you think of the signposts, they need to be anchored by headlines because headlines and they have to be active and contextual connect the dots think of it as like a relay race, right? If you've got a, you have a baton to pass to the runner and they can't start running until you've, you've passed off that baton. That's what headlines should do in your story. They are connecting from one signpost to the next so that when you go go from setting to characters or from conflict to setting, because you can go in any order with those first three, there's a, there's a flow. There's a connection point that's happening that feels intentional and that there's momentum that is sort of pushing the story along. So headlines are key. Most of us write headings and they're passive statements that, that are kind of, I think of them as lazy because you can just write them in your sleep. You know, I often see slides that say our plan or update (laughs) or, you know, quarterly updates like, yeah, what's going on. And so it makes the audience work hard and it creates confusion. And I think what it also does is it's an invitation for your audience to come up with their own message. And so I have sat through a lot of meetings where the meeting facilitator or presenter is fighting really hard to claim the narrative back because they left it up to chance. They left the headings on their slides in this example so vague that everybody's got their own version of the story. And so you end up fighting so hard to kind of claim your story back. And you thought you did all this work, you showed up, you're prepared, but yet It's such a finishing touch, but having those headlines are everything. I think they're more important than visuals. I I always write my headlines first, and then I art direct what I want it to look like, (laughs) right? So I, I get my idea for my vision. I say, I want a full screen photo, or I want an oversized text statement, but the headline is everything. You should be able to look at any deck or any email or any one pager, or even a video script. Like we write a lot of video scripts. You should be able to look at those headlines and they should flow that baton is getting passed from signpost to signpost in your headlines.
0: And I always have to have empathy myself that sometimes you may have some creativity, I've read a lot of books, and I've read a lot on slides and decks and storytelling. But oftentimes, people are creating these decks with no lessons or no knowledge uh, behind it. And they often pick a visual that has nothing to do with the headline, and it's becomes distracting. And it actually brings the 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 viewer or the listener or the audience away from your story.
1: Yeah. And I just want to be clear that this is not about trying to be a journalist and write catchy, pithy phrases. I, I just, I think that is when I hear headlines, that's what I think, right? I open the news and someone who has been professionally trained as a journalist, whose job it is to come up with some catchy title that we'll all read. I, that's not really what this is about. This is about creating connection points and flow in and out of your story signpost. So you know, I actually find those headlines that are really catchy and cool. they're one in a million. and and they don't make or break a story. I actually think if there is flow. and so I always tell folks, just report the news. Like if you're looking at a chart that has a lot of data, tell me what I need to know or do what what is it about the data and the insight so the insight about the data that you've studied should be living in that headline you know same thing with emails a lot of us write emails and the subject line is meeting follow-up okay <laughs> what meeting what's the follow-up do I is this just an FYI is there follow-up for me I'm gonna ignore that email and so I, I think there's a when we write these headings, again, we're making our audience work hard and then we're not getting the results that we want. We're not getting the emails read and responded to, or we're not getting approval on the budget that we wanted from that executive or key stakeholder. So it's like we have to claim back the ownership and responsibility to make it easy on the audience. This is why I always say, walk in their shoes. What do they need? What is keeping them up at night? Because we can't they can't help you unless you help them. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like that Jerry Maguire quote, it's like, help me help you, you know, yeah. your headlines help your audience help you.
0: And then they'll show you the money, right?
1: Well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope, right? That's the goal.
0: <laughs> so you you give a whole pile of ingredients that are involved in active headlines. They're concise, specific, conversational, all those type of things. But I wanted to jump to something. You say, you say pack your words with meaning, drive curiosity and push your story forward and edit the heck out of them get the lines down. Don't include jargon, etc, etc. But I thought it'd be useful if I threw you a, a before, and then you gave it an after a, you active headline, I line eyes it and make it more, more sexy, more active. Yeah, I love so, it.
1: You So you're the heading on the headline.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'll be heading you be headline. So sounds good stuff that we see all the time in decks. For example, I'm a startup, I'm reporting back to the investors, I'm in a board meeting, I'm reporting back to the the board. I will go, next slide, revenues. (laughs) What way would you do that better?
1: Yeah, so I'm looking at page 68 in my books. We have these before and after heading versus headline. So if I had revenues as my heading, the headline would be revenues skyrocket over three years after cloud launch. So I've got an element of time And I know exactly what it is I need to know or do about the revenues, right? So it's actionable, it's specific.
0: And and one of the other ones then that often is, is again, starting with resolution, people will jump to go update. (laughs) It's like update and you're kind of going, oh, here we go. Instead of actually get my attention with the update, tell me a little bit of, preempt me a little bit here.
1: Yeah, I would say Project X on track for Q4 Go Live. So, I would name my project, obviously, in this case, Project X, on track for q four Go live. So it tells me something about the update. And it's like I don't even need to be in the room to know this, right? if i if I got that slide and I wasn't there, I'm cool. I know I know what you're trying to tell me. And then hopefully, I've got the data to support it.
0: yeah, and and let's give one just one more. Maybe, for example, um I'm a marketing exec. I've done a whole load of uh, quant and quality res- uh, research work. And I want to actually present that usually i just go something like uh uh, research or i might go consumer behavior what way would you active activize that
1: yeah so an example i'll give is most consumers buy or switch mobile devices during the holidays so imagine that as a slide for example right if you saw consumer behavior you're gonna have to dig into that chart and figure out oh it looks like around the holidays people are really buying and switching mobile devices well, that's an insight and that's got to live in the headlines so that I don't have to work so hard. I don't have to work so hard as a storyteller, as a presenter, and my audience doesn't have to work so hard. So it's really a win-win, but you know, we went from what? Two words to I don't I don't even know how many counting there. It's it's significantly more words. This is not a competition for word count. This is about making it easy on your audience to quickly know what it is they need to know or do. And So it, yes, it seems like it might be verbose and yes, I totally believe in editing and iterating because sometimes you're not going to nail it the first, first one out of the gate, but it's making it easy on your audience. That's, that's really the, the intention behind this.
0: And then, and then another challenge that a lot of people come into is visuals. So making the slide jump, making the deck actual come to life through visuals. And you say visual guidelines actually support your story structure and you shared the structure through the lens of why what and how I thought this was really useful. And I'd love to share this with our audience.
1: Yeah. So we introduce five different ways to display information uh, from photos, oversized text, data, video, and and so on. But we look at it through the lens of the why, what, how, because in the why of your story, people want to know what shows up there visually. And so we give recommendations. You know, Typically, you're going to see a little more full-screen photography and oversized text statements, uh, definitely some data. And then in the what, your big idea, that's typically going to be uh, a big statement, right? And we have a very specific formula for your big idea. If you're going to show it visually... Using a background photo, or a textured background, or a blurred photo background, or no background—just simple statement of oversized text works really well. But you're not going to be doing a chart, you know. You're not going to be doing some geeky deep dive diagram for your big idea because your big idea is supposed to be big and inspiring. So that's the point. And then in the how of your story, this is where it's a little bulkier, a little meatier. So that's where you bring out the charts, the data, the diagrams, the um, the video. I mean, there's 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 a lot there. So we reference some guidelines uh, to just help create some variety and intentionality based on where you're at in the story.
0: One of the things that's very topical at the moment is the whole return to work. What will the new normal look like? Hybrid working, et cetera, et cetera. How does storytelling show up in that world?
1: I think this is a great question because I think the need for storytelling is greater than ever now because we have more competition than ever for our attention. And we've seen that living through the pandemic. I, I know a lot of us had kids, spouses, pets, everybody's vying for our attention literally. And then you throw in multitasking, which a lot of us do in virtual meetings. We're checking email, we're working on the side. It's kind of this perfect storm for audience tune out You know, storytelling, on the other hand, builds trust, community, connection. And if we do it well, we're walking in our audience's shoes and we're serving up information that is relevant to them and meaningful to them and this helps them lean in right this this helps them take action and so as we move out of this pandemic where we've been virtual only and we're moving towards more of a hybrid work environment i think it's going to become even more important to use storytelling to organize our ideas and data into a meaningful framework so that we can be heard now there's there's tricks to the trade we do have a chapter on when your audience is virtual because i get it we're not always telling a story to people that are in the room. And how do you add in that two-way dialogue? How do you plan for that interaction so that it's not a one-way? And so we do talk about virtual meetings and how that plays into the world of storytelling. You could certainly apply that to hybrid meetings as well. Because the idea is that if you're anchored with a good story, you plan in the interaction, you can engage your audience Everywhere, wherever they are in the world. So there's um, there's a whole topic around what I think of as hybrid storytelling, which is I think we and we're still discovering, we're still learning as uh, as this new normal becomes more comfortable for
0: a lot of us. You mentioned this earlier on. You mentioned it in passing the importance of email, and you were talking about active headlines in the email. But email is so important for us. Oftentimes, as a change maker or head of innovation within an organization, you get frustrated or you may have an idea or you may have stumbled upon something that you see as a threat or an opportunity. And you want to get that into the decision makers head. And we sometimes just rapidly write down the email and fire it off. But we if we're strategic about this, and we craft the email, the idea stands such a better chance, I'd love you to take us through this, the idea of email as a final message.
1: Yeah, the idea is that the storytelling framework can be used across any modality. And email is a modality that we all live and breathe in every day, whether we like it or not. Right. And a lot of us have been ignored. A lot of us are also overwhelmed in our inboxes. Right. I know I personally feel that. I get a lot of emails, I get a lot of those sales soliciting emails that hit my junk and my trash and <laughs> and so yeah it's it's really neat to see how the why what how can be applied in this format of email I would challenge anyone listening, go back to the last email you wrote or go back to the last email that's sitting in your inbox right now and look at it through the lens of the signpost. Do you have a clear why, what, and how? And, you know, right away the subject line is key. We talk about putting your big idea in the subject line. And it can be scary for people because it is going to be more words than, you know, meeting update or follow-up or, you know, just update. That's like my favorite one, right? So, it's <laughs> so vague. So yeah, we've got to get over that fear of, oh boy, I went from brief to like now more verbose. Yeah, you are. And, and that is in and of itself. I iterate a lot on my subject lines. I got what what is going to be too long, but not too long, just enough context. So I will often suggest editing and then editing again, but putting your big idea in the subject line gives you a fighting chance to be heard because we are scanning our inboxes and all we have to go on is that subject line. So if yours is vague, if it's a heading, it's likely getting ignored. And that's why a lot of us wonder, God, why do I have to follow up again with that person? Why did I not get what I needed? Well, did you serve it up to them? Did you make it easy for them? Okay. Then from the very, like literally the first sentence in that email, I'm craving context because I don't know about you, but I get a lot of emails where the sender assumes I remember what meeting we're talking about, what project we're referring to. And I don't because we're all in... We're context shifting all the time. We're in many different projects. And so I'm craving context and characters. Now, characters in an email are pretty much showing up as unnamed. We're not, we're not saying, Aiden, I'd like you to meet Bob. <laughs> you know, that is not happening. <laughs> so the characters are unnamed. there. you know, it's usually referencing our team, our customers, we. So they're subtle, but they're there because we are affected by whatever we're working on. So setting in characters has got to come early, first sentence or two. And then we move into conflict. What's at stake here? Why do I care? What what is the tension in this? And then from there, I want a repeat of that big idea, a variation of that subject line. But I need I need you to like sandwich me with that big idea again, so that I am very clear on what I need to know or do. And then from there, it's the resolution, the how. All right, what's the specific ask? The timeline. This is where I'm seeing bullet points and links to you know source files or whatever. And so when I look back on most emails, most people write resolution emails. They just jump to what they need, there's no context, there's no big idea, and that's where they get ignored. They hit the dustbin as uh, as we say. And and so there's just a really easy way to turn this around and apply storytelling. Now, must must caution that this is not recommended for every single email that you write. This is for high stakes emails that matter where you need a response it's going to move business forward, but I get it. We're busy. There's emails that I write that often, you know, I I do try to have good subject lines. I will, I'll, I'll give myself credit on the back for that one, but, but sometimes, okay, fine. If I know they have the context, I'm jumping into resolution, but you know, for customer emails that matter, I need a response. I need clarity. I am putting in the time to have a why, what, and how it makes a huge difference
0: one of the biggest enemies of innovation, I think is time or like, so you're a CEO of an organization, you're so time strapped, that you barely have any bandwidth mental bandwidth to think, think about the future. But also then, you know, many sales execs are under so much time pressure, that they don't take time to craft those emails. But then we try to do quantity over quality. And I think, you know, bring in the whale, the big customer by taking the time to just craft your skill, maybe it's one email a day that you actually give that little bit of time to. And it totally changes things, which brings me to this question, which is the types of people. So I I can see absolutely see the value for everyone in doing this, but the types of people you work with, when you run these workshops, that that are probably most receptive as well, maybe share a little bit about that. And then maybe where people can find you. And then we'll land maybe what your final message for our audience today.
1: Yeah. So our workshops are geared towards enterprise customers. So usually large companies where there's either intact teams or cohorts within an organization because we we get under the hood. I mean, I love storytelling, I love all the concepts, but I like to smother you in practicality. So all of our workshops, whether they're in person or virtual or on demand, you're constantly going back to your world and applying it to your world, right? You're grabbing that email that you want to, you know, make better. You're grabbing the deck that you've got to present next week or that you presented last week and it went bad. Like you're bringing in your communications and applying this framework and then getting feedback from peers and then the coach and so who's showing up for these it you know it's it's usually managers senior managers vps individual contributors within organizations because we're trying to create a culture of storytelling this whole practice of storytelling is only great when it's a plus one right like you create this culture you have this shared vocabulary so that when we sit down and collaborate I'm not on my own island talking about a big idea and you're looking at me sideways, right? You're saying, ah, you know what? Let's pause on the big idea. What's the conflict, right? We're, we're talking story. It's this new language we all talk. And that's where the power happens. That's where the magic happens. That's where we're seeing organizations really move forward and, and win because they have embraced this mindset of storytelling and it permeates all the way from the top to the bottom. Um, so you can learn more about us at our website, presentation-company.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn at The Presentation Company. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Janine Kernoff. We do have a self-paced on-demand course that is kind of a companion to our book, Everyday Business Storytelling. So for folks that are listening, thinking, well, this is great, but I don't work at a big company right now, or I don't want to work at a big company. That's cool. I get it. We have kind of an individual track. So you can find more about that on our website as well, presentation-company.com. So you can kind of have your own self-paced learning journey. We also do provide on-demand courses for enterprise customers that has more of a social collaborative element. So even though you're taking the course on your own, you're doing it asynchronously with colleagues that are all over the world. So it's pretty magical when that happens. So we have options for everybody depending on where you're at in your career. But I would say start by following us on social because we put out a lot of content, a lot of goodness. <laughs> so you can, you can learn enough to be dangerous if you just follow us on social.
0: Fantastic. And I'm delighted to say I have a copy of this beautiful book up for grabs, just sign up to the innovation newsletter, and you will be in with a chance to win that book. Janine, your final big idea, what's your call to our audience before we part ways today?
1: Story first, visual second, I think that we need to have this mindset shift and stop spreading these Franken decks that are showing up in meetings and, and inboxes because we're losing sight of the narrative and we're focusing on the wrong stuff first. I am a big fan of visuals, but visual second. And I always have this way of thinking like your story is the main the main singer and the visuals are your backup dancer in the backdrop. They're there to support your story. They're there to elevate it. But if, if there's just one thing that we can start changing today, story first, visual second
0: author of Everyday Business Storytelling, Create, Simplify, and Adapt a Visual Narrative for Any Audience. Janine Kurnoff, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It was so fun.